see you. I'm glad you've made it here. Happy Sunday. Um, it's just good to be together every week. Um, you likely know that uh, we are now in the season of Lent, which is a time for us to focus on Jesus's death and how we live out his death ourselves. It's a time to put away the things of old, um, the things of an outdated life without Christ. Um, we know that God, the Holy Spirit, is here with us today. He invites us to be close to him together, and he is filling us as we just come together, as we spend this morning, this time together, as we sing, as we pray, and as we listen. Um, so I just invite you all to stand if you're able and to sing our welcome to um, God and his Holy Spirit. Gain. I count but 
Amen. Yes, Lord. Uh, church, we're at the start of a season that uh, is called Lent, and it's part of a year of seasons that include Eastertide and Advent that tell the story of Jesus. During Lent, we focus on Jesus' death and what it was and why it was and what it means for us to die, too, with him. You can stay standing here. I'm going to read a poem. This is from Langston Hughes, uh, sorry, Langston Hughes, a well-known poet from Harlem. We can read it as a remembrance of Jesus' death, the suffering of Jesus' mother, and Jesus' solidarity with us and with all the sad ballads we have in our world. I'll read it, and then we'll have a moment of silence, and then Julie will pray uh, on behalf of all of us. This poem is called The Ballad of Mary's Son. It was in the spring... The Passover had come. There was feasting in the streets and joy. But an awful thing happened in the spring. Men who knew not what they did killed Mary's boy. He was Mary's son, and the son of God was he, sent to bring the whole world joy. There were some who could not hear, and some were filled with fear. So they built a cross for Mary's boy. Please take a moment. Please pray with me. Father God, you sent Jesus to us to bring us joy but our world did not receive him. They were, we were unable to hear you, filled with fear, filled with ignorance. Our world rejected him. We even put him on a cross to shame him and kill him. Father God, today we remember how prone we and our world are to ignoring you, even hating you but we also use a different reflex from your spirit by your grace to welcome him, to draw near to you and to be grateful to you for his suffering for our sake. Amen. 
And as we remember how Jesus suffered to bring us peace with him and with each other, let's affirm that peace. And we do that by turning to one another and saying peace of Christ to you. And if you don't, don't know the person near you, um, please stick around after service to get to know them. So church, peace of Christ to you. It's good to be here together. Um, again, this is a season of Lent that we are in. Um, you know, I was just talking to a handful of people right before service, and I know this is something that over the last uh, handful of years um, that um, I've talked about with um, other pastors and leaders in our church about, and um, sort of phenomenon that I experience um, again and again is how um, after Lent, um, we end up talking about how, oh, you know, that season of Lent, this past season of Lent, I felt like it was a real forward movement for our church, you know, like our, our church took steps and there's some momentum. Um, I know it's subjective, um, but, you know, I, I think that really has been the case um, for us. And, you know, just trusting that this uh, upcoming season of Lent that we started in uh, would be similar. So, um, like I said a second ago, Lent is a season when we focus on the death and suffering of Christ, his solidarity with us, as well as our participation in that death and our solidarity with him. And um, we tell that story. Um, I guess we tell that story every week and every day of life. Um, but as a church, we're telling that story with particular focus um, over the next um, about month and a half of services. Uh, Lent concludes with Easter weekend. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, but before I do, uh, just a reminder, every Tuesday we have prayer by Zoom at 8 o'clock. You can find the link on our website. If you go to the far right of our website or if you're looking on your phone, um, the drop-down menu, the main drop-down, three-line sort of menu, and it's um, the GCCC online tab. You click on that, and then you'll see a Tuesday prayer come up, and you'll see a Zoom link for that. So um, we look forward to joining you. I would encourage you also, if you're not a regular um, participant in that prayer meeting, um, give it a try. Come out. Um, you can even keep your screen off if you want or whatever. Um, just give it a try. Come out and um, maybe make it a Lent thing for yourself. Uh, just over the next like six weeks or so, um, I'll, I'll come out on Tuesday night. So um, I encourage you to do that. Um, Pastor Chris talked about tiny groups, what we're calling tiny groups, last Sunday. Um, and that registration, uh, signing up for tiny groups is open. And when we say tiny groups, we're talking about groups of two, maybe three or four tops. Um, there's sort of one designated more or less leader, but um, our focus is really on um, mutually intentional friendship in Christ, um, trying to encourage one another and build one another up. And so um, if you're interested in that, there's a further explanation online as well. Um, and, and then you can obviously sign up there too. So um, please consider that those groups are going to just run for five months. So you're not committing to something that's uh, super long, um, but we're going to start providing that. And if you have some people that you would like to do that with or you're already doing that with, but you would appreciate some extra structure, uh, for yourselves, we invite you to do that too. You can actually put that on your form, like I want to do this with so-and-so person, and we're signing up together, more or less. And so we'll give you some resources, we'll give you some structure, and they're going to run from about Easter, um, so it's like the end of March, but we're saying April 1st, or no, no, we just decided to say uh, Easter Sunday, because that sounds better than April Fool's Day, <laughs> but Easter Sunday, we're starting this, and we're going to go... Uh, 
through the uh, end of August, so it's about five months. So uh, please consider that. Um, next Sunday is our last Sunday here at the Crown Plaza. And for that last Sunday, um, we are also having like baked treats. Um, and so it's a bake sale. And it's a fundraiser for a group of, uh, from our church that is going to the country that we call Tea House for safety reasons. Um, they're going to be going at the beginning of March. So that Sunday next week is going to be a send-off for them. So a few people. So the team is a handful of people. So half that team is going to be here. Um, and so uh, you'll be able to see them. And we're going to kind of send them off in prayer um, next Sunday. So please join us here. And you can make a donation. I was talking about this last week. But, you know, you, I, I don't think there will actually be, be prices for each baked item. I think it's just, here's a bunch of baked items, donate. So uh, just be generous. I guess if you like the cookies, give more. I don't know. But um, anyway, so that's next Sunday. Um, another thing related to our work overseas, um, we are putting together, as of like two or three weeks ago, we are putting together a team to go to Cambodia this summer at the end of July. And so our partners in Cambodia, actually, we watched a video um, where David was speaking to us last week, really excited about the health clinic that we funded. Um, and uh, David has asked us um, if we could send a team to lead a retreat for uh, some of them and their team uh, at the end of July. So if you're interested in, I don't know, think about it. Think about it. Uh, don't dismiss it too quickly. Uh, think about it, and um, I think it would be a tremendous week uh, for them and, and for uh, all of us who go as well. Finally, um, like I said, we're here at the Crown Plaza for one more Sunday. And then in March, we're going to be moving around a little bit. Okay, So we're going to have a couple of Sundays at our normal place at the Doubletree. We're going to have one outdoor picnic service. We're going to have one more at, because there's five Sundays in March, we're going to have one more at the Doubletree. And then on Easter Sunday, the last Sunday of March, March 31st, we're going to be at the Westin, which is going to be our new long-term home. Okay? Ooh. Yes. I know. Yes. That's a little tepid applause, but that's all right. <laughs> you know? And we're saving money. <laughs> no, I know, that brought out all the whoops last, last Sunday. Anyway, um, so uh, we're going to be at the West End starting on Easter Sunday, and um, it's not far from here. It's just, it's right across from the Crystal City Metro station, and uh, it's a really, it's really nice space. Like, um, the, we're in a conference room, so it's just, you know, it's a hotel conference room, but um, there's a foyer, and our God's Garden will be kind of like right down the hall instead of across a whole lobby. And we have the second floor mezzanine level that is basically all ours. And it's really nice. And uh, we look forward to using that space really well. For that Easter Sunday, uh, we're really treating it as sort of a launch of a new chapter for our church's life. And so we hope you get excited about it. I think it's a really good opportunity, too, to invite some people who haven't been here or haven't been around for a while. Um, Easter Sunday, the start of a new season, the start of a, you know, in, st in some ways, the start of a Christian year. Um, and uh, this is, like I said, a start of a new chapter in our church's life. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, you'll be hearing more about it, and we'll keep praying about it over the next, yeah, like six weeks or so till Easter. Um, Finally, we give our offering um, online uh, through our website. 
um, you can, you know, through our website, you can see how to do that. Um, and what we do on Sundays is we pray, sort of dedicating that offering as we understand that to be part of our corporate worship together to the Lord. So please, uh, would you pray with me? God, we pray in thanks for all that you give to us. And uh, this includes um, material provision and wealth and jobs that have income. And um, Lord, we are happy, Lord, to give generously to you, um, to your people. Lord, receive our offering um, partly as what we consider sort of our duty to you and to each other, but really our delight. Um, we're so grateful to be able to freely uh, and with a free heart, um, with a heart that even laughs at the days to come, uh, with that kind of heart to give um, to you. Lord, receive us uh, with joy. Lord, we are thankful. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, um, we are starting a new sermon series today as we begin the season of Lent, and this series is on Exodus 20, um, which contains what are traditionally known as the Ten Commandments. Um, we're actually going to call this sermon series Ten Words, um, mostly because the word commandment doesn't show up in Exodus 20. So just there was some, someone who was a good marketer back in the day who said, let's call this the Ten Commandments, and it stuck. Um, but in Hebrew, it's just words. And uh, the numbering is actually a little bit vague. So depending on your tradition, there is different numbering, actually, of the Ten Commandments. And um, it's okay. And so in Exodus 20, um, we're going to be looking at today at verses 1 to 6 of Exodus 20. And um, actually, before we read these words, uh, I just want to put some assumptions out on the table together, some things that we'll agree to look for as we think about these 10 words, yeah? Okay. Um, one, let's just assume and let's agree that we're going to find these 10 words today as well as over the next six, seven weeks. We're going to find them delightful, okay? We're going to find, let's, let's assume and let's agree that we're going to find, we're going we're gonna to look for and find delight, we're going to find them beautiful. We're going to find them helpful and good. Okay? Who's with me? All right, amen. <laughs> All right. Um, number two, we're going to find encouragement to persevere in Christ through them. All right? We're going to be encouraged as we look at these 10 words. And then one more, again, just putting some assumptions and things that we'll agree to look for on the table. We're not going to see them as rules in some kind of sub-Christian, legalistic, religious way. Okay, so if you're thinking, okay, 10 words or 10 commandments, I, I know what this is about. This is about legalistic religion. Do thou shalt not or thou shalt. Rather, let's agree to look at these 10 words as giving us a way of life that is good, fitting, beautiful. We were just talking about Ephesians uh, over the last couple months. And just like Ephesians was about a new way of life, 
a way of life that is good and fitting. Putting, you know, we talked about like a fashion metaphor. Putting away old, ill-fitting, out-of-style clothes, an out-of-style life, and putting on a new, well-fitting, in-style life in Christ. It's the same thing that we're talking about in Exodus 20. The first people, just remember this, the first people hearing these 10 words that we have in Exodus 20, they're a community that is coming out of Egypt. They've just been saved miraculously, delivered out of slavery, abject slavery, oppressive slavery in Egypt. And they've been miraculously brought out of that way of life, brought out of Egypt, brought out of an Egyptian way of life, brought out of slavery to Egyptians, brought out of worship and servitude to, worship, uh, worship and servitude to Egyptian gods. And they're coming out of this place, they're coming out of this life, and coming into something new. And this is the people that are receiving Exodus 20. And this is not dissimilar to us who come to Christ and we have come out through Christ of a different way of life, an old way of life. We've come out of servitudes to kind of quote-unquote gods that aren't really gods. And we're finding a new life in Christ. Very similar to the theme we saw in Ephesians, taking off an old life and putting on a new life. This isn't These 10 words are not morality for a country of secular humanists. That's not what Exodus 20 is meant to be. Like, I don't know if it's meant to be posted in our schools, schools full of non-Christians, you know? I mean, they're, they're good, good things. They're not bad for non-Christians to know and keep in mind. But it's really for people coming into a new life to learn what a new, good, beautiful, fitting life looks like. Okay, Amen. So can we agree to those things? As we'll, look in, we'll look for these things as we look through Exodus 20, yeah? Okay. So before we read, please pray with me one more time. Lord, as we're seeking you and as we're wanting to live out your life, as we're living a life filled with your spirit together, Lord, encourage us, strengthen us, show us your goodness, show us your beauty, and fill our lives with it. Lord, as we look at these verses in Exodus 20, strengthen us. Fill us, Lord. Let us find delight in you and your ways. Lord, we have a listening ear to you, a listening heart, like an open life to you. Lord, fill us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read this together, Exodus 20. And again, we're going to read the first six verses of this chapter. And God spoke all these words. Again, words, so that's why we're calling it 10 words. It's not commandments, it's words. God's, by the way, you're like, what's the big deal? Why don't we just call them commandments? I think it's a little bit misleading because um, what we have in Exodus 20, they're not just commandments. There's some commandments, but there's also promises, there's explanations, there's declarations, and so on. So I think words is better. All right. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. And if in your English translation, as you're reading along, by the way, I encourage you to read along um, on your phone or on a copy of the Bible. By the way, just out of curiosity, if you have a um, paper Bible like I do here, not like just my, your phone or whatever, can you just like lift it a little bit? I'm just curious. Oh, look at all these old school people. All right. All right. Thank you. (laughs) All right. All right. 
I am, so verse two, I'm the Lord your God. And you'll notice in your English translation, uh, Lord is in small caps, like all caps, small caps. And that's a signifier. That's the way that English translators have signified the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is basically the personal name for God, Yahweh. And we just translate that as Lord. And the reason why we don't just say Yahweh, like just the name, you know, um, is because the tradition in Hebrew is that when they would be reading this text, instead of actually saying the word Yahweh, because it's such a holy name, they would actually say Adonai, which means Lord, uh, even though in the text it says Yahweh. And so I think the English translators have just picked that up, so they just say Lord in small caps. But really what we're talking about is God's personal name. Okay? I am Yahweh, your God. Who, not just God, but I'm Yahweh, your God. You know me. You know my name. We know each other by name. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's what Egypt is. To, to maybe people who are cultural anthropologists, historical anthropologists today, like the land of Egypt means all kinds of things. Splendor, like interesting customs, whatever it might be. Um, architecture. But for them, Egypt is a house of slavery. Okay, remember that. It's a house of slavery. I, Yahweh, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Some translations have besides me. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. So you could think of like a bird or uh, a cow in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, like a shark, I don't know. Verse 5, you shall not bow to them or serve them. And the word serve there can also be translated worship. You shall not bow down to them or worship them or serve them. For I, Yahweh, your God. Remember, I'm Yahweh. You know me by name. I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. All right. That's our passage for today. I'm just going to talk about three things today. One, honoring Yahweh. Honoring Yahweh. I think that's the heart of what is either the first or first two commandments, depending on your tradition. Honoring Yahweh. Number two, honoring each other. And three, honoring God's heart to heal. Okay, so we'll get to two and three in a second, but let's talk about this first one. Honoring Yahweh. We see this in the first five verses. Honoring Yahweh. Remember, people who are listening to this, people who are hearing this, have been brought out of an old way and into an, a new way of life. Actually, I'm just going to, I know I refer to this, but I'm going to just read this part of Ephesians chapter 2. Um, I'm just going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I'll try to just read it quickly. Um, please bear with me as I try to read it a little bit quickly. You were dead. This is the church listening to Paul's letter. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air that is Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were dead. You were dead in your sin. You were objects of wrath. You were servants of Satan. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is what Ephesians says we are. We are coming out of an old life, coming into a new life. We were dead. Now we're alive. We were servants of Satan. Now we're servants of God. We were objects of wrath. Now we're objects of grace. This is who we are. So let's live a new life. And this is a spirit of Exodus 20 as well. God says, I am the, I'm Yahweh your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. This is our life, a life of worship and devotion to God only. I mean, it's a little bit tricky for us because in our modern day period, we don't have the same worldview as people in biblical periods had, where gods were sort of a given. You know, we believe in gods. There are such things as gods. Um, worship to gods was a given. Uh, there were many beings. You know, this is a given, that there were many beings called gods that different people worshipped. But in a modern period, we don't worship beings called gods. But there is still idolatry. Okay, so it's like, what, is that? Well, what does idolatry look like in a modern period? Um, and I think Jesus talks about it. Um, Matthew 6, 24, uh, Paul talks about it in Colossians 3. I'm just going to, again, I'm just going to read a quick couple verses. This is Colossians 3, verse um, 5. And Colossians actually is a lot like Ephesians. A lot of it's just about this is an old way of life. Now it's a new way of life. He uses... Uh, taking off and putting on, just like he does in Ephesians. Uh, this is Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, like of your old life, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed or covetousness. And he says, which is idolatry. Okay, greed is idolatry, according to Paul. Um, in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus talks about this too. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Um, money with a capital M. And actually what's really interesting is that some ancient church theologians whom we call like church fathers, some of them read money, capital M, in Matthew 6 as a personification of Satan. Um, so they actually treat it as a being, in fact. But whether you think of it as an actual entity or not, uh, the idea is there is such a thing as an idolatry of our heart, okay? Even if we are not bowing down to a, 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 a real being that we conceive of. See, it's hard because in our modern world, we have to think like, yeah, we don't have many gods. Like, we don't even have a God, you know? Like, even if you sort of believe in the existence of a God, when it comes to actually living our life and making decisions and thinking about the world, we basically bracket God out, you know? It's like, okay, let's budget. Okay, here's the calculations, and let's remember how the Lord is going to provide. That does not 
come in, you know. Um, you know, it's not part of our calculations. Um, when we think about decisions, we, you know, just think concretely and so on. We don't think, okay, God's going to come and he's going to do this, you know. And so we have to factor that in. We basically bracket out God. So in a world like ours, what does idolatry look like? You know, when we don't even worship kind of one God, much less multiple gods. And I think it has to do with ultimate meaning, ultimate worth, ultimate purpose. And I think idolatry is trying to find ultimate meaning, ultimate worth, ultimate purpose in, in something, even good things, that are not God. See, like our ultimate meaning in life as we come to Christ is in the story of Christ. Is actually our ultimate meaning, our worth, our significance comes from the story of Christ, that the story that Christ tells us, that we were created, that we were created by God, that we were created by God as good, that we are fallen and corrupted and broken, but that we are loved and redeemed by Jesus' death, that we are healed and made one with God through Jesus' resurrection, and how our world is going to be made new when Jesus returns. This is where we find our worth. This is where we find meaning. This is where we find significance. And when we are tempted to find those kind of things in lesser things, things that are not God, that are not Christ, we find ourselves, I think, in idolatry. This is a constant temptation, I think, for us. As human beings, even after you've started following Christ, it's a constant thing that appears in our life. Um, I, I want to be careful here because I know that, uh, like, I, I don't want to say, well, everything's an idol unless you're just praying. You know, that, that's not true. You know, I think work, family, relationships, etc., resumes, they, they, they can be an idol, yes, but they can, they're just good things otherwise. You know, it's not, it's not bad to do a good job at work. It's glorifying to God to work hard at your job and to benefit people through your work. It's, on, it's beautiful. That's what we're made for. You know, it's beautiful to have meaningful relationships that you give yourself to. It's beautiful to raise children. It's beautiful even to, like, build up a resume. You know, it's just, it's just part of how God made us. But again, and I don't know where this line is, like sometimes it crosses into what I think the Bible calls idolatry. And I think it's, I think it's sometimes when like our work, which is, again, something good, like it, it can give us a great, like in a really great way, according to the scripture, it gives us a great sense of worth and identity. But when that becomes all of our worth and all of our identity, I think we, we get into problems, and we feel that. Maybe when we feel the symptoms of it, maybe then we know, oh, maybe I've stepped into idolatry. Sometimes we might think of a relationship with someone, which is a gift from God, and an opportunity, especially in a, like a romantic, significant, other kind of relationship. It's a, it's a gift from God, and it's an opportunity to become more Christ-like. But when that becomes all the giftedness of our life and all the person that we are, I think we're in trouble. You know, we think and talk all the time in our culture about financial security. Financial security, that's a phrase, financial security. As if that's a real thing in God's eyes. It's, it's an oxymoron, actually, to the Lord. 
because he says that, in fact, he says straight up, wealth is so uncertain. He says wealth is not secure. Lord, you know, give us clean hearts. God, let me not make resume building, again, which could be a good, even righteous goal, into something that has ultimate meaning. God, I want to submit these things to you. I want to submit all things before you as even good things, but they are not replacing you. I am glad to find ultimate meaning in you and your story. I want, I'm glad that you give my life worth. However things are going in my romantic relationships, however things are going at work, I am glad that you give my life ultimate worth and meaning and significance. And in fact, joy and peace. Amen? This is a good life that God has called us to. I will find pleasure and harmony in living my life with single devotion to know you better, to honor you, to make you known to others, to live like you, to welcome your spirit now, and to long for your return. See, the purpose and end goal of all life in Christ now, not just religious life, is to honor him for his good, his pleasure. You know, not that this means that you have to be thinking, like, God, I love you, God, I love you, God, I love you in every moment. Like, I know I couldn't do that for sure because I'm so bad at multitasking. You know, like, I can't even, ask my kids, I can't even hold a conversation and try to do something else at the same time. Like, or driving somewhere, da 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 you know? I'm like, what did you say? Did you say something? It's like, I just told you my greatest fears. Anyway, like, you know, if I'm changing a tire or hanging a picture frame or shooting a basketball, like, I have to concentrate, you know? But all these things are unto the Lord in the end, okay? But like I said, we are prone to idolatry. It's part of being human. It's part of the human condition. Even after we start a life with Christ, we're prone, to, like we sang earlier, we're prone to wander. We're prone to wander from single-minded devotion to Yahweh and to go to idols. You know, sometimes they're the same idols that we, we followed 5, 20, 40 years ago. Sometimes they're new. You know, sometimes I feel like I've been confessing the same sins and sort of idols of my heart for a long time. It's like, this is the same prayer I was praying when I was 15 years old. And then sometimes changes in life sometimes evoke and produce like new idols or like new different struggles with familiar idols. You know, like when I got married, I had to learn what it meant to give single devotion to God when I wasn't single anymore. You know, what does that mean? Like, because I have responsibilities to the other person now. You know, like when I had a newborn, I had to figure out what it meant to be singly devoted to Christ, our Savior, Yahweh, when a baby needed me 24-7. When I moved cities, when I had to start thinking about sending kids to college, when I started, you know, realizing how much sin and idolatry were actually social communal things more than they were individual personal things. Like, it's, I've had to evolve, you know, but the common theme is idolatry is something we're prone to. And so I, I think Lent, maybe every day, every week, but especially in this season, it's a good time for us to say, Lord, I put away idols. I put away idols of sex, idols of wealth, idols of achievement. You know, when I somehow think that my lack of things on my resume or my lack of particular kinds of relationship, relationships make my life less valuable, 
when I think that an unimpressive financial portfolio makes my life not as worth others or not worth living. Lord, I'm turning away from these things. I pray, like, keep, Lord, keep my children. Like, keep my son from thinking that his value is directly and wholly tied to his achievement or his future achievement or his athletic success or how well-liked he is. Keep my daughter from thinking that having a lot of friends and a boyfriend are ultimately what make her life valuable. Lord, let us live in your way. Let us worship you. Let us serve you in peace without fear, without anxiety, without fear. Let us serve you in peace. You know why idols are so bad? Because they don't work. They lead to anxiety and harm. They don't give us life. God's not keeping something good from us. God is keeping something bad from us when he says, have no gods beside me or before me. Two more verses from the New Testament. Luke 1, 74 and 75. Actually, I'm just going to read this one. Luke 1, 74 and 75. This is a song that John the Baptist's father says or sings. He says, blessed be the Lord. We, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's his picture of salvation. Now we worship the Lord without fear, without slavery, and just in peace, in righteousness, without fear. Isn't that beautiful? Just a life of worship to the Lord without fear. Romans 14, 17, you don't have to turn to it, but I'll just say, Paul says, you know, the kingdom of God, this world that we live in now, this life that we have, isn't about eating or drinking. It's about peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. This is what our life is about. Let's keep ourselves from idols, amen? One more thing about honoring Yahweh, honoring Yahweh, our personal God, a God who died for us, in fact. Verse 5, he says, You shall not bow down to these idols or worship them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God. God says that he is jealous. Now, oftentimes when we think of jealousy, we think of it as a vice, like, oh, you're so, don't be jealous. Like, oh, I'm, I'm so bad, I'm so jealous. Forgive my jealousy. But here, it's a virtue, not a vice. And I think it's related to um, a larger web of verses and words that God gives to his people, that God gives to us. Because God describes himself constantly through the scripture as a husband to us. He pictures our relationship as like a spouse-spouse kind of relationship. And, he all, and there's constant imagery in the Bible of God as a husband and his people as a wife. And in that kind of relationship, jealousy is a virtue. Okay, jealousy is a virtue. God described himself as a husband that is a good husband, first of all. He's a husband, but first, he's a good husband. He's a husband that gives so much attention to us. And we don't have to, like... Have you guys seen, like, sitcoms where the premise, I feel like it, it's often in sitcoms, where the premise of the episode is like, oh, you know, my, my significant other is not giving me attention, so I'm going to try to make them jealous. 
and I will, you know, try other things and make them jealous and da da da, -da and then that person will give me more attention. That's not us. I don't know if that's healthy generally, but, <laughs> but definitely that's not us before, the, before Christ. He gives us so much attention. He is so kind to you. He is so gracious to you. It's so good to live this life in Christ. I mean, it's incredible. We, we sing songs about this. We sing songs like, this is amazing, this is amazing grace, this is incredible life, marvelous light. I mean, they're not just words. I mean, I mean, if you had to just put pen to paper and like, okay, how do I describe this? I mean, amazing is a pretty good word. Awesome, marvelous. This is our life. And yeah, God is jealous, but it's because he is so committed to us. He's so attached to us. It's right for him to feel jealous. Don't make him jealous. That's what these words are saying. Don't make him jealous. He loves us. He's with us. Let's live a life of peace and righteousness. Let's worship him without fear. Amen? All right, two more points, mostly because they're interesting and maybe perplexing, perplexing parts of this passage. So number two, honoring each other. Okay, verse four. Um, I just find this really interesting because it comes in Exodus, which is a book right after Genesis. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of something that's created, and including like an image of me, like something you, you pretend is an image of me. What's really interesting is right before this in Genesis, what we see is God made all people in his image. You know, so what's the, what's the problem here, Lord? You know, like, you made us, aren't we supposed to, aren't images of you good things? In fact, that's what we are, right? So what's happening here? And I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I don't know. Um, but I, I think there's probably a lot of good answers to that. Um, I'll just be optimistic and think there's a lot of good answers to that. But I think uh, there's at least one possibility that I'd like to just put out there, which is that the difference between us being made in, and us being the image of God in our world and these things that God tells us not to make is that we are real and they are not. And, and I think a, a takeaway from this is that as much as we're called not to worship other gods or other images because they're not real and they're powerless, when it comes to an image that is real, which is us, which is one another, I think we're called to do the opposite. We're called to honor and even revere one another, made in the image of God. So I think our response to this is to say, yeah, that Lord Christ, I remember, I remember this, that we, we, that I and that those around me are made in your image, that we are truly your image of, you're truly your image. We are truly the image of God. We are real. And I'll, I'll resolve to honor others. I won't dehumanize anyone. I won't consider any group of people inferior to me and my group. We are all made in your image. We as a community are meant to live out your image, so I will honor other people. I will be patient with them. I will live out my continuing debt to love them. That's a reference from another one of Paul's letters. This is Romans 13, 8. Again, you can write that down, Romans 13, 8. Beautiful, beautiful verse. It says, let no debt remain outstanding among you except the continuing debt to love one another. That's a debt you'll never repay. 
you, we have a debt to love one another. And this is our life. One another made in God's image. We have a debt to love and honor and revere each other. Amen? The Bible condemns idolatry for very practical reasons, usually. I mean, here it's because God is jealous, as we just talked about. But often it's just simply idols don't work. Idols do harm rather than do good. They just don't work. They can't hear. You think that you say they can hear, but they can't hear. You say they can see, but they can't see. You say they can actually have effects and do things in the world, but they can't. But you know who does hear and see and accomplish things? God and us. Verse 4, I think, is meant to make us honor God, but it's also, I think, perhaps, meant to make us honor each other. We don't do harm. We love like Christ did. We honor each other. This is our way of life now. Maybe it's not what we did in Egypt or what we experienced in Egypt. It's not what we did when we were dead in our sin, when we were just going around doing the, doing the things that Satan tells us to do, but it's what we do now, alive to God, living out his story. Amen? All right, last thing. Honoring God's, God's heart to heal. So in this section, we talked about honoring Yahweh, the true God, the one God, honoring one another made in his image. And lastly, I just want to talk about honoring God's heart to heal. Verse 5 to 6, again, sort of a troubling, maybe perplexing couple verses. I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That is, condemnation is passed down, he says, to three or four generations. Verse 6, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I think what we want to focus on here is the contrast, the comparison. Yes, there is condemnation, but it just goes to three or four generations. But there is grace and love to thousands and that's a reflection, I think, of who God is, God's heart. God has a heart to heal. God has a heart to bless. God would rather show favor and steadfast love to thousands than to show displeasure at three or four generations. And I think what this means is there's such a thing as breaking generational patterns and generational sins. We can break, I'm going to say this again, we can break, we can break, we can break, and God wants us to break, and God's heart is to see broken generational patterns of sin. And I'll say, my wife and I have, and I think all of us can give testimony. I have, we have. If you're not sure, think about it, you have. Okay? Like, I, I was just talking about me and my wife, one nice thing about getting older is that, um, you know, like, there's still a long way to go, okay? I was talking about this the other day. I saw Pat Benatar on some TV show. I'm like, oh, my gosh. She and her partner, her husband, they've been together 40 years, still working together, making music together. Anyway, goals. Anyway, um, so one nice thing is about, uh, about getting older is that, yeah, well, we're not done, you know, so there's a long way to go, but... Some ways of life at this point have been borne out as real patterns, okay? It's not just like certain ways, certain things we do, certain ways of life we have. They're not just things that we do for a few months or a few years. At this point, it's just us. 
I think, I can, again, a long way to go, but things I can confidently say, it's just us now. There are negative things that we inherited from our parents that we've put away. You know, ways that my parents, I love my parents, and they, you know, uh, I love her parents, but there are ways that we have identified as not helpful, as not really Christian, and we've put them away. We're living a new way. Like, I can honestly say that. We, we've lived a different way. You know, some Christians call this, like, generational curse, generational sin. I don't know how much I believe that, but, you know, I, I don't think the Bible tells us too much about them, so I'm, I'm afraid to, you know, say too much about it. But I do think there are things passed on for sure, sins, consequences. And I think most people, Christian or not, would, would agree about that, actually. But, like, how do you break them? That's the important question. How do you break patterns? How do you start anew? You know, does prayer, does naming the curse or naming the sin break them? You know, I, maybe, sometimes, I'm not, I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't really give us an example of that or a straight-up teaching about that, so I don't know if that's required. But for sure, it involves a life of repentance, a life of turning away from an old life, like old Egypt, old life of deadness, to a life in Christ. And to remember that God is gracious. He wants to give us a new life. He wants to give us better patterns. He wants to give us a life of worshiping without fear, in peace and joy and righteousness. That's his heart. So, Lord, we say, I call to mind, we call to mind how your compassion and your patience and your grace are more prominent than your anger even, though your anger is great. And I live out that heart. I'm an exhibit of that heart. Because I parent my children differently from my parent, how my parents did. I treat my wife differently than my father treated my mother. I handle money differently. I handle loss of money differently than others in our world do. And I thank you for this life I've been given. Because it's great. Sometimes it's hard, but it's beautiful. It's a life without fear. We were dead in our sin. This is what Ephesians 2 says. We were dead in our sin, following the ways of the ruler of this world, Satan. We were objects of wrath. But God, being rich, being rich, being rich in mercy. How is God rich? He's rich in mercy. You know, people are rich in different things. There are some people who are rich straight up in money. There are some people who are rich in skills. There are some people who are rich in, I don't know, love, I guess, family relationships. It's like the plot of most Adam Sandler movies, you know, giving up, like, wealth for the sake of family things. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's so random. Sorry. <laughs> but but um, what is God rich in? He's rich in mercy. And he says that about himself again and again. I'm rich in mercy. If you need money, talk to Warren Buffett. If you need mercy, talk to God. God is rich in mercy. And because of, his, because of his richness and mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ, resurrecting us with Christ in his resurrection. And now we walk in a life without fear, a life of good works. That is a life that is like Jesus, healing people, healing people around us who are oppressed by Satan, doing good in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is our life now. So we honor Yahweh by living out this life, free from idols. And even though it takes constant watch, constant repentance, that's what we live. 
We live a life honoring one another who are really made in God's image. Not like these false things that we pretend to be God, but really revering and honoring one another. And finally, we honor, we remember, we honor, we respect, we recognize, we honor God's heart to heal, to give us steadfast love to thousands of generations. Amen? Please pray with me. Um, we're we're going to actually spend an extended time uh, praying together and singing. But before we do that, just briefly, I just invite you to just confess any just idols in your heart. And, and when I say confess idols in your heart, I would, su- I would suggest recognizing them by the things that cause you anxiety. Not just general stress, you know, like, yeah, work can be stressful and, you know, requires work, relationships, and so on. But things that, like, give you anxiety, that make you question yourself, that make you fearful, that, that threaten the sense of worth that we have before Christ. Just confess those things and say, Lord, I put them away. Put away things that make me fearful. And I, and I give myself to single-minded devotion and worship to you, Lord, the only God, Yahweh, my Savior. Our Savior, the Savior of the world. Let's take a moment just to pray that way. We're going to sing this song. It's just, um, it's, it's, a, it's the last few verses of Psalm 51. I see Psalm 51, 15 to 17. And we're also going to speak uh, the words of Psalm 51 as a way of praying for us. Um, but we'll start with this song uh, called Open My Lips. Um, and Justin will lead us. And, uh, Julie will be leading us in prayer. Spirit. 
mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In this time of silence, please speak from your heart to God. I invite you to confess our individual and collective sins with our commitment to repentance. forgiveness and new life in Christ. Take to heart how John says it in his first letter to the church. This is from 1 John. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray together using the response to God's forgiveness. And this is from the last section of Psalm 51. I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. O oh God, you who are my Savior, you deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. And my tongue sings of your righteousness. You open my lips, Lord, and my mouth declares your praise. Amen.
sing have mercy on us let's not just pray for ourselves alone but um, let's pray for our broader community let's pray for our world have mercy on us let's sing that one more time and we'll spend some time praying together We're just going to pray one more time. Just, just again, remember, God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. He has a heart to heal. Let's pray for others. Let's turn from ourselves and let's pray for others, knowing God's heart to heal, knowing how God is so rich in mercy. Let's pray this wholeheartedly, holy God. Justin keeps playing. Let's keep praying. I'm going to call out some topics, and I'll just invite you to just pray from your own heart using your own words. We're going to have kind of many voices, but one heart to the Lord. Uh, if you want to stand, stand. If you want to sit, sit. If you want to kneel or something else, if you want to lift your hands, whatever works. But uh, just let's be sincere before the Lord, confident in his mercy and his heart to heal. Let's pray for our broader community. Let's pray for others that we know and their attachment to idols, our larger community, our larger cities attachment to idols, including idols of the DMV, including like political power, political connections as an idol, achievement, election, but other ways of achieving, resume building, those with families, children's achievement and resume building. Let's pray for release from these breaking of attachment, from these crushing, harmful idols, turning to the God who lets us serve with without fear, with peace and joy. Let's pray together, church.
Lord God, you, we believe in your power to heal. We believe in your power to break the power of idols. Lord, we're praying for this. Lord, we're praying for this. God, in your mercy, in the riches of your mercy, break idols around us and among us, Lord. We'll keep praying and, and uh, again, just pray in your own way. I encourage you even to pray, like, out loud. So uh, sometimes I know when it's just in our own head, sometimes it might be hard to concentrate. If that works for you, that's okay. But I encourage you to pray, uh, you know, out loud or like a loud or soft volume. But um, let's just continue praying. Many voices, one heart. Let's pray um, that we would honor each other. And let's lament a lack of honoring each other in this larger world and this community that we're a part of. Let's lament theft and murder and assault and abuse and slander as products of just a lack of honoring each other, lack of recognizing God's image in one another. Let's pray for this. Let's pray for our larger world, church. Let's pray. church, let's offer ourselves as advocates for people in our world, people uh, who are victims of these things because they are not revered, they are not honored. Let's present ourselves to the Lord as advocates for them, as people who show them the heart of the Lord. Let's just do that together, simple words even, but let's just present ourselves that way to the Lord. Let's also pray for people around us, people that I think that we know maybe better, family, friends, that they would experience God's heart to heal and where you know there are sort of long-standing or even generational patterns of pain, generational patterns of sin. Let's, let's look to God that he would give them that kind of healing, a new life in Christ. Let's pray together. Finally, in the power of his Holy Spirit, in the power and love of Jesus, uh, let's pray for actual physical healing, maybe mental and emotional healing involved in that as well, but physical healing for people that you know, maybe people in our church. Let's pray for that healing. Yes, Lord.
He took bread and he broke and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took a cup. He said, this is the blood of a new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So when you take this bread and when you take this cup, you proclaim Jesus' death until he comes again. And that's what we're doing here. Jesus, you died for us. We believe this. You died for us. You rose. And we are part of your life. We are with you in this life of worship, in this life of peace and joy and righteousness. So eat and drink with joy. Smile as you put it in your mouth. This is our life in the Lord. Uh, the elements are in the back, um, two tables of them. Before we do that, we're going to proclaim a very quick summary of our story of Christ. Very quick. I'm going to say, let's proclaim the mystery of our faith. And you're going to say, What's up there? Okay, hold on, hold on. All right, so let me say my part. Uh, let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Amen, amen. If you're a follower of Christ, I encourage you, I invite you, come grab the elements from the back, come back to your seat, and we're going to close with one final song of worship, remembering the Lord. Oh, that rugged cross. 
filled with this Holy Spirit, filled with his joy and righteousness, we go out to others in his name, in his power, in his love, in his grace. Uh, you, uh, church, you're, you're beautiful. You're made in God's image. And uh, Jesus died for you. 
let's live without fear. Let's live in peace. Let's live in joy. Let's help others to find that as well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, please um, say hi to somebody before you leave this room. Um, you can even, if, if you're not sure what to say, I'll give you a script. You can say, hi. <laughs> or if you want to be a little more deep, you can say, you know, you are made in God's image, <laughs> whichever is less awkward for you. Um, but please, uh, please say hi to somebody, and then we'll see you here next week. Thanks.